Good evening. We're in the middle of a series called Three Words of Truth, and each Wednesday night we're looking at three words from the passion, the suffering, those hours that Jesus is going to the cross. Three words um, from somebody or some event during that time that we meditate on, and tonight's words are love one another. The background to our text this evening, you heard it just a moment ago, it's John chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem and they're in the upper room celebrating the Passover festival. Jesus has caught his disciples off guard from the moment that they walked in because he, their master and teacher, has gotten down on his knees, taken off his outer garment and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed their dirty, stinking feet, the work that usually a servant would do. But he was signaling to them something very important that was about to happen and was happening. He was telling them that he was serving them like a servant and his love would be shown them in the moments and hours and days ahead about what he would truly do for them and for all of us, what he would do for them and for all of us, that he would give his life like a servant with unconditional love. Moments later, they're sitting around the table and Jesus' spirit, it says, was deeply concerned because he knew that one of them would betray him. And he said to them that it was one of them. They became worried. And like you heard before in the introduction to the reading, he dipped the bread and the same cup as Judas, showing them that Judas would be the one that betrayed him. And at that moment, Satan entered into Judas' heart. Judas left the room, went out into the darkness, and began the work of betraying Jesus to his enemies who would come and arrest him later that night. And in that's the background for our text tonight, love one another. But just how we get there is like this. Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples the moment that Judas has left. And he says in verse 31, it says, when he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Two things you can notice from this short verse. And the first thing is this, that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is a reference that goes back all the way to the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, chapter 7, the prophet Daniel used this term, a Son of Man would be sent from God and he would have dominion and power and rule and authority into eternity. This figure was in the mind of the people and they thought to themselves, a son of man is coming from God and a son of man, son of man was ingrained in their minds that this would be that big figure that would make a huge difference in the world forever. So when Jesus arrived, guess what name he picked to call himself? Son of man, but not just a son of man like in the Old Testament, but he used a definite article. He adds this definite article and he uses that name no less than, guess what? 88 times that he uses it on himself and he says, I am the son of man. And the son of man is finishing this work. And every time that he said that, he was telling those people, especially those people who had in their minds that Old Testament scripture, he was telling them, I am arrived. I am the one sent by God, the son of man. And as the son of man, he was there to bring glory. So that's the other thing that you heard. And the second thing that we're noting from this verse is that he uses the word glorified no less than five times in these two verses. Three times in the passive, twice in the future. He says, God is glorified, 
He says, God is glorified, God will glorify, and God will glorify him at once. And what he's saying is that the Son of Man right now, in this moment, is glorified. Do you remember what moment that we're in? In the upper room? Judas has just left. You know, that word glorify, often when we think about glorify, we think about somebody that has self-aggrandizement or they think really highly of themselves. Like maybe it's your neighbor who, who brags all the time about how much money they make or how great their kids are or how much better their job is than everybody else's. But that's not the kind of glory, surface glory, that, that's being talked about here. When Jesus says that God will be glorified or God is glorified and he will glorify the Son, He's talking about this word, glorify, that has a much deeper meaning than that. To be glorified means to clothe yourself in splendor. And it has a real meaning, like there's a purpose and there's acknowledgement of something that has true worth. Like the golfer who puts on the green jacket after winning the Masters. In that moment, glorified. Because he's earned it. That moment when the war hero comes home and there's a ticker tape parade down Main Street of his hometown and the senator shows up and gives him a Medal of Honor, that's real glory, earned and recognized. Or the moment when the doors swing open at the back of church and the bride comes in and everybody stands up and looks at the beauty and says, that's beautiful glory, that moment. That's the moment that you live for. And that's the moment, and here's the paradox of the Christian faith in the life and work of Jesus, is Jesus says, you know, that moment that you live for, this moment is the moment that I live for. And it's not adorned with a green jacket, and it's not a ticker tape parade, but it begins with one of his disciples leaving to betray him and putting into action plan to bring Jesus down in that same moment. And here's the hard truth for us to believe. And Jesus, but he's saying, he's saying in that same moment is the moment that God chose to put into action a plan to love and serve you in a way that you have never experienced before. And if we're going to get to the second part tonight, love one another, you can't get to that point B without getting to point A. And point A is this. That God's greatest splendor and his greatest glory was wearing a crown of thorns, being adorned with crimson red on his back because of the whip and the shrapnel. His greatest glory was hanging on a tree. His greatest glory was having his hands and feet adorned with holes because he loved you. And in that moment when he hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them, and he said it is complete, in that moment, that's the greatest glory that God could have to show unconditional love to you, to forgive you, and to do it at the greatest cost. The glory of God is found on the cross. And if we're going to understand what it means 
to love and to be loved, you have to look at that cross and say, this is the greatest thing that God has ever done. In fact, it's the greatest thing that God wanted to do. And when Jesus did this, he brought, he clothed God in splendor by giving his life because he was honoring the father and the father would honor him and give glory to him. And so Jesus goes on and he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now. Um, he has said this before to the Jews in John chapter 7. Uh, before, he's had the religious leaders come to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. And he said, where I am going, you cannot go. And so he's spoken to the Jews before this way. But he, what he's saying is to his disciples is, I'm going to leave your sight. I'm going away and I'm going to do something that you can't do. Because I'm going to, first of all, die. I'm going, to be, I'm going to rise again. He said this a number of times before. But even after he rose from the dead, he wouldn't be leading his disciples around like he had for the last three and a half years. They would even go to the tomb and they would find in the tomb that he wasn't there. He was risen. He would appear to them several more times, but then he would ascend to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, he promised that he would return after he ruled over this world. And in the meantime, the disciples had to be thinking to themselves, but why are you leaving us here? I thought you talked this whole time about taking us into the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was present, but now you're going away. And Jesus is saying, don't fear. I'm going to leave your sight where I'm going. He says in other places, I'm coming back for you. But he says, this is your purpose when I go away and I'm out of your sight, listen to these words. All right? Jesus is still in heaven ruling and he's promised to return. But in the meantime, he gives us the same command in John chapter 13. So listen up. This is it. This is what we do in the meantime. The love of God is found in his people. Verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The uh, theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, he once told a story, a parable. It was a parable about a town of ducks. You heard me right, duck town. It was just like a regular town, like the way you and I live in, but it was a, tuck of a town full of ducks, you know, duck mayor, duck fire department. They all waddled around and quacked. This was duck town. And in, and in this duck town, when they got up in the morning, they would get out of bed and they would waddle to work and they would quack and waddle and quack and waddle. And when they'd go to school, they would be taught by a teacher that would waddle around in front of school and the children would waddle to the cafeteria and waddle out and play their duck games in the play yard. And on Sundays, they're awful lot like us. On Sundays, they got up and they went to duck church. And they would get up and go down the street and they would waddle, waddle, waddle to duck church, come in through the doors of the duck church. They would sit down and stand up, sit down and stand up. I'm making that part up. They're Lutheran ducks in, this, in my parable. And they would sing duck songs. The choir would get up and they would sing duck anthems. And finally, the pastor, he was also a duck. He would waddle to the pulpit and he would preach from the duck Bible. And you know what he would preach? He would say this, my fellow ducks, God has given you wings. You can fly like an eagle. There's no wall that can hold you in. There's no fence that can stop you. God has given you wings 
and you can fly like a bird. And all the ducks said, amen, amen, quack, quack. And then they stood up, went outside, and waddled home. What was Soren Kierkegaard trying to say? My friends, you and I, I don't want to be a lame duck pastor, no pun intended. You and I have love. And love is more than just something that we think about and we talk about in church. God has given you love. But it's not something to say, amen, 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 in the walls of church and then walk out and not practice it. Because if you and I talk about love, sing about love, even have beautiful songs and anthems about love, but we walk out the church without practicing it, we're no better than a duck who has wings that refuses to use them. Jesus says there's two solid reasons why you love. Number one, it's in your DNA. You love because he first loved us. You love because he first loved us. That's why you love. I've had people uh, in the past ask me, Pastor, what's my purpose in this world? What's my purpose in life? I don't know why God's keeping me here. And the honest answer is, just like those disciples who once had to wonder why Jesus wasn't taking them with him, that maybe you're asking that same question, God, why don't you take me to heaven? Well, guess what? As long as you're hearing this message today, as long as you're hearing my voice and you're living and breathing, God has made you to what? Love. And that's your purpose. To love and to love with a specific love. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, when he says a new command, you might be thinking to yourself, but wait a second, even back in the Old Testament, doesn't it say to love your neighbor as yourself? It does. But notice what Jesus says. He says it differently. He says, don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor how? Love as I have loved you. There are tons of moral codes that say love your neighbor as yourself, but none has said this. Love with a love that is a sacrificial love as the God that loved you and gave his life for you and made that his glory, make that your glory. We love because it's in our DNA. And Jesus has made us to love in verse 34. And then you see the second part. The love that you show in this world, it may be the only kind of Bible that other people read. Because when people look at your life and they look at your acts of love, they're gonna see the savior that you believe in who's in your heart. And so when you love, you don't just love others because you've been loved and it's in your DNA, but you love others so that they know God's love too. So in conclusion, I'm going to close now by not being a lame duck pastor, not just talking about love, but giving you something meaty that you can take with you over the next week. Um, In his work, Gospel and Life, Grace Changes Everything, Um, theologian and pastor Tim Keller, he goes through and he talks about three major areas in our life. I'm not going to say these are the only three, but they're easy to hang our hat on so that we can go from here and we can practice this this week. And he says, these are the three major areas in the New Testament that we're called to love our community and our neighbor. He says, number one, affirm. Number two, share. And number three, serve. First of all, affirm. We can love one another by affirming 
this, each other's strengths, abilities, and gifts. This is clear throughout the scripture, especially in Romans, when it talks about how each and every one of us has a gift. Your gift may not be standing up in front of church and preaching, but your gift may be bringing people joy at your work or at your home. Your joy, your work might be something that's different than the person that's, that's not the same as you, but he says to affirm that love in another person and to give them value because they are part of the body of Christ. That can be love, and that is love. Affirming each other's gifts, affirming each other's status in Christ. There are people here tonight, there are people in our church, there are people in Christian communities around the world that are at different stages. There are Christians that have been Christians their whole life. There are Christians that have been very mature Christians. There are Christians who are just starting out. And yet, whether you are a mature Christian or you're just starting out, we value each other's status in front of Christ because each and every one of us has been forgiven by him. And so we treat each other with that same kind of respect that we are all children of God, no matter where we are in our journey. <clears throat> and number, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, the third one is that we affirm our, with visible affection. There's one place in the New Testament that Paul says, greet each other with a what? A holy kiss. Now, I won't share a holy kiss with you, but there are other ways that we can affirm each other and use our words to, to visibly show somebody that we care, to write a card for somebody that we know needs help, to provide a meal for somebody that we know has been sick. We, there are ways that we can affirm the love in other people's lives in a tangible, physical way. And you can be called to do that, and that's showing the love of Christ. So first of all, affirm, second of all, share. Sharing our space, sharing our goods, and sharing our time. In the New Testament, there's an awesome illustration of this when the church met together every day in each other's homes, and when somebody was hungry, they would feed them. When somebody was hurt, they would pray with them. But we share each other's space. This comes even within the church when we work as volunteers together, and we're kind and patient, and we're, 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 we're allowing other people to use the same space as us when we have a common goal in mind. Um, we share each other's needs and each other's problems, uh, carried each other's burdens. That's one way that we can care and love for one another, to call each other up, to make sure that we're checking in with each other at our connect group, to make sure that that person that we haven't seen in a while at church gets a message or gets a hello over the text message and we miss you. But we will affirm each other, we'll share with each other, and we'll share uh, with each other's beliefs as well. We'll share each other's beliefs, thinking, and spirituality. Um, just this last week, I had somebody in our community, uh, not a member of our church or one of our churches, but they were heartbroken because the church that they had grown up in was beginning to teach things that was outside of Scripture. And they came to me and they asked me why they're feeling so terrible about this, because they have, uh, you know, a, a, they have a strong affection for their church. And I had to tell them that's a normal feeling that you have when the truth is being distorted or being changed, because part of our sharing is believing what we believe from the Word of God. And so to have a common sharing and a common understanding and to sit down and at Holy Word, what we do is that we sit down and we open up the Bible together so that we can enjoy each other's love with a common belief in what we believe and teach from the Bible. That's part of Christian love. And if we see one brother or sister going off in a direction that isn't 
here and isn't described in scripture that we love that person enough to teach and to admonish and to bring them back to the truth. That's love. Finally, the last one is that we serve one one another. Uh, We serve one another with accountability, and that has to do with finding a brother or sister in the faith or being a brother and sister in the faith that gets to know each other to the point that we can confess our sins and we can grant each other forgiveness. And that can happen at youth group, that can happen at connect group, that can happen one-on-one with a pastor, but it's one way that we'll show each other love because the greatest love is sharing accountability and sharing that forgiveness that Jesus wants us to have, which is the second one. We serve each other by giving forgiveness and we serve each other by reconciling the differences between each other. Matthew 18, there's a great example of that. It says, when a brother, and what it means there is a brother or a sister or any Christian, sins against you, go to talk to them. Talk to them in person and come to an understanding of the truth. This is love. And finally, serving each other's interests. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, I want to reach as many people as possible And so to the Jew, I'm going to become a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm going to become a Gentile. To the weak, I'm going to become weak. All he says, so that I may win some for Christ. And so if you are a strong Christian, and you know that there's something that you can do to win somebody over, and it's not breaking God's law, but it's something that you can do so that you can build a bridge into their life, or that you can build a bridge into somebody's life that's a weak Christian to build their faith up, do that and do it so that they can become more sure of their faith and that they can become closer in relationship with Jesus, their savior. So tonight, what are the words? Love one another. It doesn't happen unless what? You have a savior in your life whose biggest moment and whose greatest glory was giving his life And when you and I live out with the spirit of Jesus inside of us, that same love, that sacrificial, that's looking to the needs of others, that affirms each other in the faith, that shares with one another in the faith, that serves one another in the faith, just like Jesus served us, guess who gets the glory? Your heavenly father. Just like Jesus gave all of his glory to the heavenly father and the heavenly father gave his glory to him, When you serve and when you love one another, all the glory is his. And that makes loving one another totally worth it. Amen.